0: Welcome to The Lit Review, a podcast sparked by a moment of urgency, recognizing mass political education as key for our liberation struggles. Every week, your hosts, Paige May and Monica Trinidad, will chat with people we love and respect about relevant books for the movement. Everything from history to theories around gender to sci-fi and beyond. We know that political study is not accessible for a variety of reasons. The high cost of books, academic jargon, the failures of our underfunded school systems, time barriers, and more. Our hope is that this podcast helps address some of those issues, making critical knowledge more accessible to the masses. Think SparkNotes in podcast form. I'm one of your hosts, Monica Trinidad. Thank you for listening.
1: charges. Press 1. To refuse charges. Press 2. Thank you for using Securus.
0: You may start the conversation now. Hello? Hey, Patrice. Hey, Patrice. Can you hear me? (laughs) Yes, I can. All right. So thank you so much for being here today with us over the phone. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing really, really good. Um, Happy Saturday. I welcome any opportunity um, that I'm presented with um, to discuss something as meaningful as mass incarceration. I am currently um, incarcerated. Um, I am housed at the Joliet Treatment Center in Joliet, Illinois. Um, I've been serving this life sentence since I'm 18 and I'm now 42. Um, I would argue that I am a human rights activist. <laughs> Um, I would argue that I'm an equal rights activist, um, and I would argue that, um, I live my life trying to improve planetary conditions for everybody, you know, myself included, you know. Um, I've been involved with in Black and Pink Chicago, um, since its inception, and, you know, Black and Pink proper long before, um, Black and Pink Chicago began, um, I I do a little poetry, I write. Um, I'm just, like I said, in in a bunch of different ways. Um, I'm, I'm an advocate.
0: So we're going to be talking today about The New Jim Crow, which is Mass Incarceration in the Age of Colorblindness, and it's a book by Michelle Alexander. I've heard so much about this book um, as just being super influential in a lot of people's lives and really shifting people's politics um, around you know, the prison industrial complex. Um, this book was originally published in 2010 uh, by the New Press. Um, so can you tell me what, what led you to read this book um, and... Just, like, what what was your first initial interaction with this book? I was made aware of it
1: by my godfather, um, who is um, Pastor Mirtis of Trinity United Church of Christ on the south southeast side of Chicago, um, the Reverend Dr. Jeremiah A. Wright, Jr. Um, in fact, he was the one that um, introduced me to the book. Apparently, him and um, Professor Alexander, um, having to be friends. And um, upon the completion of the book, um, you know, in, in anticipation of it coming out, um, he had gotten had gotten an advanced copy of the book, and so um, he sent it to me. And so that was the first copy. I'm now like on my tenth copy <laughs> because all the others were so dog-eared, you know, from utilizing them and passing them out, and sharing them with people. Um, but that was my initial introduction to the book, and um, I, I would argue that it um, it was um, it was transformational. Um, yeah, he did literally changed my life, um, and, and- by virtue of the fact that they're prisoners
0: that's that's always yeah. interesting you know just hearing about how data can really move people i mean there's so many different ways that people are moved you know towards um towards something right like there's the data like the numbers statistics right and then there's also like the personal narratives like hearing people's stories and hearing people's experiences right and so here you are living this experience and and sort of like needing that data to sort of like solidify a lot of the things that you've been sort of like feeling and and, and, uh, and, and living and experiencing. Um, so with all of this sort of like data in this book, can you talk a little bit about how she lays this book out? Like how does she, how does she arrange each chapter? Like how does she talk about the data? How does she just lay it out?
1: The, the, the thing that I, to your point, the thing that I most appreciate is that um, she does sort of go step by step by step. And so None of these things occur in a vacuum, right? And so, the reality of it is, is that um, the thing that the thing that people need to understand about mass incarceration um, in the age of colorblindness is that um, none of these things like came out of nowhere. You know, um, I like the fact that in chapter one she starts to talk about, you know, basically. How people, how you know, how we got to this place of um, mass incarceration? Like, how did this happen? You know what I mean? Because, um, as she says, racialized social control. Um, those, that was a, there was a birth, birthing of that in this country. Like, that wasn't something that just sort of, you know, uh, organically occurred. Like, there was a concerted, concentrated effort to establish. Um, this, this whole concept, and so um, slavery um, was a form of um, of caste. It was a form of a racial caste. It, it just was, and um, subsequently, so was Jim Crow. That that word war on drugs was really, the whole idea of the drugs was like a form of misdirection, period. I mean, I think that's the best way to characterize it, Mm. the whole idea. So when people hear war on drugs, I think it's important that we, what what Michelle Alexander does is explain how the so-called war on drugs is really just another way of creating this idea that there needs to be something done about an issue that really was non-existent you know, and that's something that she also points out in that chapter, that in fact, when this so-called war on drugs began, in fact, uh, criminality as well as drug use was on the decline when these things happened, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. and so the reality is that um, it, just, it just was a completely unnecessary um, war to declare, mm-hmm. you know, and so um, as a result of Creating this war and manufacturing this panic, um, and this need to respond to this non-existent problem, what happened is that, um, laws then became sort of a, a, a way into a different form of, um, enslavement, if you will. And so they became these sort of, you know, these financial incentives, mm-hmm. um, you know, drug possession, um, um, um or or in in some instances drug selling.
0: Yeah, the CIA even acknowledges that um, that the contra factions, right, in Nicaragua were literally involved in bringing cocaine into the U.S. and, and distributing it among, you know, urban communities. And, and I think that's right where you see this sort of – U.S. prison population explode, you know, up into the like hundreds of thousands, um, you know, because of drug convictions, right? And then, and then all of a sudden, we have this the world's highest incarceration rate. Um, how does she? How does she talk? Does she talk a lot about the CIA in this? And like, how, does she go deep into that history of like how the U.S. really just brought all of these drugs into the communities? Oh,
1: no question about it. You know, um, no question about it. She, she, she definitely. Um, goes into detail about you know how that how that whole concept um actually came into play um as it relates to the United States government. You know the 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 reality is that um, the government, uh, you know, the United States government has, has you know it's, this is not you know news to anybody who um this is not news to anybody who you know actually you know takes the time to actually um, um read these days and, and know that like the United States government has consistently demonstrated um, a capacity to marginalize, um, groups of people, um, you know, to their, to the whatever their ends may particularly be in the preservation of empire. And so, um, this was just another instance in a long, you know, the so-called long drugs and Mm -hmm. the so-called, um, and, and this idea of the government financing, um, um, Military operations in other countries um, um, as, as sort of proxy, you know, being part of these sort of proxy... You have one minute left. Wars, um, being sort of part of these proxy wars in order to, um, you know, expand the empire.
0: You hear me okay great um do you want do you want to finish your thoughts because we got cut off
1: um yeah no i was just saying that um <clears throat> excuse me no i was just i was just making the point that like i said um this has been going on in this country um for for, for quite a while um you can think back even to um what i call in, the indigenous americans um and and how they were um otherized um you know, in other words, to be able to um, advance um, the means or the interests of um, the colonizers um, of this country. Um, some people call them settlers. Um, I, I happen to believe that they were they were colonizers. And um, so, I mean, there's this this long history of the United States government. Um, in fact, there's a book uh, I cannot remember uh, who the author is, but I think it's Stephen Kinzer. But it's a book called Overthrow, and it talks about kinds of things that the government has engaged in from the hawaiian monarch all the way up you know to, to you know modern modernity you know right mm-hmm. now today um and it talks about all of these different instances throughout the history of the united states government um where they have done these types of things man, um, mm-hmm. global right you know to sort of like i said expand empire
0: can you talk a little bit about why um why michelle names this book mass incarceration in the age of colorblindness like what is she talking about when she says that and why is Uh, it why is it significant (laughs)
1: yeah yeah right yeah um one of the consequences of the ascension of certain um black figures or african-american figures um in this country um one of the byproducts of their ascension um is often this assertion by people that you know um, that we've transcended race; that the nation is transcended race. You know, with with the uh, with the ascension of of of, uh, um, of our last president, um, um, Barack Obama. Um, you know, they're, they're, if I heard it once, I've heard it fifty thousand times. You know, it's like there's no way America is still a racist country if all these white people voted for Barack Obama. You know, kind of thing. Um, uh, or you know, they, they hold up uh, people hold up other examples of black exceptionalism, you know, um, as she correctly um, points out, Michelle Alexander correctly points out, and as, um, you know, I too believe and, and, and often point out as well, um, black exceptionalism or African-American exceptionalism has always existed. Like, <laughs> that, just to say that one individual's ascension or a group of individuals ascension is somehow representative of um, one thing or another. Um, it's, it's sort of uh, uh, I guess I would argue it's disingenuous at best. Guy to be arrested for, you know, trying to bring it to his own home. And not only did he have to apologize, but then the president, on That's the Federal Bureau of Prison Statistics from the World Almanac and Book of Facts in 2018, that numerically, white males commit the bulk of crime in America. Mm -hmm. And yet the reality is that black and brown people fill the prisons and jails. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's just no ambiguity about the fact that um, race plays a part in who goes to the prison
0: Mm -hmm. in this country. Yeah. Absolutely. And have you shared this book with folks on the inside and what have been sort of their interactions oh with that book? Like, yeah, I'm sure you've definitely shared this book. Um, and what have people yeah, thought about always. this book? What are their feelings um, on this book? Like, have it has it been positive reception or negative reception? Um, yeah, can you talk a little bit about that? Oh,
1: uniformly. Uniformly. I mean, this book has been well-received. In fact, do you want to know something? The, the, one of the most... I guess, refreshing things is that almost, almost, I would say two out of every five or six people that I introduce this book to will all say they've already read it. <laughs> and I just find that absolutely awesome. Like, if, if there ever was a civil rights or human rights issue, it's mass incarceration. There's just no ambiguity about it. Like, there, there are entire communities decimated as a result of mass incarceration. You know, there's there's an area code in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53206. Um and there's a documentary on it too. Um, um, on um, America Reframed. If you go like to I think it's like uh, um, it's it's on PBS World, if I'm not mistaken. And you go to their website, you'll see it, watch the documentary. Um, it's 53206. And, and and I'm talking about almost every black man in that community is either incarcerated, in prison, or on parole. There are entire neighborhoods that don't have a single, responsible, working, functional black male in its household because they're in prison or on parole or in somebody's jail. It is phenomenal. It is phenomenal. It is utterly phenomenal.
0: Have you have you seen sort of the landscape on the inside um, of organizing since this book? Like, what has have you seen it sort of shift or change um, on the inside since since this book has been introduced? uh, Well, I I
1: would yes, but I would say that's dependent upon the facility Mm -hmm. because because of how the Illinois Department is constructed um the, the, the reality is that there are certain levels of security at certain facilities and based on that level of security programming and activities and things of that nature um, or what I call sometimes passive i know personally one of the juvenile lifers eugene ross um um you know he's a part of the the state bill debate team um and they were able to debate these whole some of these very issues before a group of legislature uh, legislators um at state bill recently um you know and so um i mean look i mean i live it i live it I, i live the activism life and so yes we mobilize um we lend voices to, we con- we're constantly contacting legislators, we're constantly sharing our narratives, um, we're constantly um, humanizing ourselves to the people who are um, working these places and facilities. Um, you know, I often encourage guys, you know, you got to tell your own story, man. And, and I'm a firm believer in the fact that knowing the narrative sometimes makes all the difference in the world. Mm -hmm. And we have been thoroughly demonized, the prison population. And so as a a result of that, there isn't isn't an inmate lobby in Washington, D.C. There isn't a prisoner lobby in Springfield. And so as a result of that, we rely on these opportunities like the one you've so kindly um, and and graciously um, given me. Um, But we count on people like you. And we count on people like Debbie South and We count on people like, um, Megan Selby. And I mean, the list goes on and on and on. You know, we count on you guys. We count on you guys to, um, be our voice, be our humanizers, you know, explain to people that there are like real human beings being affected, um, as a result of the new Jim Crow, as a result of mass incarceration, you know, um, real briefly, um, Michelle Alexander did something that was so powerful in the very beginning of this book. She talked about how elated she was as she exited the celebratory um, festivities um, after the, the original um, election of Barack Obama as the first um, African-American president. And she said as she was you know, exiting that... Um, you know, she was smacked in the face with a stark reality of a black man, you know, in a you know, um on his knees, you know, being handcuffed, you know, by the police with a bunch of policemen standing around having a good old time, um, you know, not even recognizing this guy's humanity. Um, that, that that, you know, what did the ascension for of, of Barack Obama mean? What did that mean for him? You know, sitting there in them handcuffs in that motherfucking gutter, you know what I mean? Excuse me, but um so the reality of it is, is that um, she was able to in that in that brief sort of illustration embody the reality of so many.
0: Oh. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You know, so speaking about speaking of folks on the outside. What what would you say to folks who are, you know, who are organizers, who have been doing this for a while, who are super aware of, of the issue of mass incarceration, right, um, and then see this book and they're like, oh, well, I already know about mass incarceration. I don't, you know, I don't need to read the book. Um, what would you say this book really adds to the conversation on mass incarceration? Um, I mean, you, I, you've you said so much already, but what would be, how would you convince or, or, or tell an organizer that they need to read this book? even if they know, yeah, mass incarceration is horrible, it's a problem, we need to challenge it we need to abolish prisons um, but what, what would you say to somebody um, to convince them to read this book, like what does this book add? In my opinion what it
1: adds the, because you're right, in general people always say, yeah man, I know, it's messed up but what this book really does is, is it really concretizes the state of emergency, like this is Perspective. This is this is immoral. Mass. It makes the point that mass incarceration is not just a bad thing; it's immoral. And people need to understand that this is immoral. Ender.
0: who have read this book already do you have any suggestions for like like part two sort of like follow-up books to to read after you've read the new Jim Crow um, that maybe goes a little bit more in depth
1: uh, slavery by another name by Douglas A. Black obviously um the the the, the monumental um black construction uh, black reconstruction in America you gotta read that oh yeah WB1
0: you can tell us later you can uh we can add like yeah, sort yeah. of like a like uh, a list of like Patricia okay. Patrice's top 10 books to read you know like we can add that yeah, to the website yeah. page uh, okay okay yeah. Yeah, yeah that's what we'll do, we'll do what that we'll do that did this book leave you sort of wanting more was there anything that Michelle Alexander talked about that she didn't get too in depth in and you were like man i really i really wish she would have like went there or like you know dived a little deeper into th- this piece. Like, was there anything in this book like that, or do you feel like she really just, like, covered everything?
1: Um, no, well, no. The thing that I wish she would have went more into detail about was the actual...
0: She was missing a lot of those personal narratives sort of pieces, right? Just like hearing... Yes, yes,
1: yes, yes, yes. And the effects. Because there are generations of children growing up without their parents because they're in prison. Mm -hmm. They're in prison. I mean, I've been in here since I was 18 years old myself. I'm 42 now. Like, I've been effectively removed from society for the bulk of my time on the planet mm-hmm. you know like like i'm living the effects of mass incarceration mm-hmm. like i was born and raised in the housing projects on the south side of chicago i was born a black baby boy in the housing projects on the south side of chicago to a mother who was on drugs i mean i come out the womb like like with about 50 strikes mm-hmm. <laughs> like I even get to walking and talking just mm-hmm. by virtue of being born a black baby boy to a drug, you know, um, to, to, to a woman on drugs in the housing projects. Mm-hmm. I mean, Hey, you know, you know what I mean? Like, 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 like that was already, like the construct was already in place before I started walking and talking. Mm-hmm. That's not, and I'm not the exception. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess that's my point, you know, so don't cry out mm-hmm. River. I'm not the exception. You know? Mhm. And 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 you know, one of the things Michelle Alexander, you know, you know, keeps it real about is that black legislators are just as responsible. Mm-hmm. You know, they went along with a lot of this crap. Yep. You know? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and for those who ignorantly call um Bill Clinton first black president, um, yes, I said ignorant, because the only reason a lot of people say that is because of the fact that he played a saxophone on the Arsenio Hall show, and had sex out of wedlock, like like had sex while he was married, you know, like I don't know how that's synonymous with, but that he admitted to smoking marijuana, I don't know how that's synonymous with blackness anyway, but you know, you know, that's neither here nor there but, like she pointed out, like more than anybody, he's responsible for this nonsense, this madness more than any other president in the history of this country, and I'm glad she, she pointed that out. Yeah. You know, a lot of a lot of liberals wouldn't. You know, they still walk.
0: <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I love talking to you, Patrice, because you totally just keep it real. You're just like, no, yeah. <laughs> no, you're just like, let me just yeah. tell you how how it is. Um, so this book is. I have one more question, uh, and then we're gonna we're gonna close out. Um but I, this book is coming up on 10 years uh, since it's been released. Uh, have you noticed or seen sort of like shifts in organizing around mass incarceration and, and, and you know, prison abolition? And, and have you seen anything, or what have you been your sort of observations of the landscape since then? What, is, what has changed? What hasn't changed?
1: Oh, well, well what, what hasn't changed race is still as pervasive racism and how it functions systemically. Um, is still as, is, as, ingrained. Um, it's still, it's still as American as Apple high. Um, in that sense. But what I would argue has changed is given her scholarship and given the data, she has given license to some in politics. Um, wade more into the waters of um, so-called reforms. She has done that. She's given some people cover, if you will, right? Um, um, to be courageous enough to get into the fray and get into the mix. Um, um, and some, some politicians have gotten involved, not necessarily out of anything morality-based, but obviously more about economic, um, uh, economically-based. So I would say that has changed. I would argue that um, as a result, um, of this of this manuscript, that there are plenty more glad, grassroots organizations and groups that have convened yeah, around this idea of mass incarceration and, and deconstructing. It. You know, mm-hmm. and so the reality of it is, is that um, yes, things have changed. People have become more aware. People have become more conscious. People have gotten more involved, and that's to our credit in prison. Um, nationally, there has. The laws changed, the crack laws changed, the federal crack laws. You know, that, that one hundred to one thing is now one to one, you know, or ten to one or whatever it is. And so, um, no, things have changed, and as a result, people have gotten out of prison. Um, but not enough has been done. Nowhere near enough has been done. There's still a whole Cook County jail full of people in line ready to come here, you know, come to these prisons. And so there still is no shortage of incarceration. There still is no shortage of
0: have any uh, last thoughts to add to our conversation?
1: As a collective, like, 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 I am not exaggerating. You know, I once said, with all of our ingenuity, huh, all of our, all of our mind power, all of our ability to invent things, and like, I mean, human beings are some of the most amazing creatures. I'm, th- I'm talking about, we we we're, 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 we're amazing. How in the hell? Figure out something other than locking people in Mm cages. Like, how can can there not be a better way? How can there not be alternatives? Mm -hmm. How can there not? Carceral life is horrible. Human beings are not made, they're not crafted, they're not designed to be locked in rooms they cannot get out of. But that is the reality of carceral life. But the reality of it is, is that there was a time when there weren't prisons, you know. And so there can be a time again when there aren't, there aren't prisons. You
0: That's know what right. I'm saying? And
1: so, you know, like I said I would just say, man, look, from me to whoever you know is listening, whoever tunes into this, man, age, hey, you need to get involved. You need to give a damn. You need to advocate in any way you can. You need to humanize. You need to be a voice understand that what you're doing today could potentially be the difference between whether or not someone tomorrow has the opportunity Hmm. to grow up in a country and in a society that values their humanity Hmm. that's
0: what i would say thank you so much patrice this you are so inspiring you know to me personally and now to thousands more people um, and I'm I'm just truly thankful for you and for our friendship and just, you know, like I, every time we talk, I'm so moved and so energized and so just, you know, thankful that I get to, that I get to be your friend.
1: Well, you are um, definitely more than welcome. And um, like I told you, it, it's always a pleasure, man, to be able to lend my voice to such an important situation subject
0: yeah so we want to close out with what we ask our guests all the time and that's to read um if you can read your favorite passage from the book
1: well this is from uh, my favorite part is from the lockdown um which is on page 94 and it says once a person is labeled a felon Stigma and exclusion are perfectly legal, and privileges of citizenship, such as voting and jury service, are off limits. It does not matter.
0: people we love and respect about books for the movement. We are your co-hosts, Monica Trinidad and Paige May, two Chicago-based organizers. Special shout-out to The Lit Review's very own sponsor, the Arcus Center for Social Justice Leadership out of Kalamazoo College. Keep your eyes and ears open for another episode next Monday, same time, same place. Want to hear about a specific book? Email us at thelitreviewchicago at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. And if you like this episode, give it a shout out on Twitter or Instagram. Our handle is at Lit Shy. Keep reading. reading.